This is the cover of Time Magazine from January 24th, 1994. Do you remember this? Do you remember the whole soap opera that surrounded Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding back in 1994? Well, just in case you've forgotten or somehow you escaped the gravitational pull of what became known as Skategate, let me see if I can summarize it for you. It was January 6, 1994, and the city of Detroit was gearing up for the U.S. National Figure Skating Championships. This particular year was also an Olympic year, so the championships were doubling as the Olympic qualification round to determine who would represent the U.S. on the Olympic figure skating team. The favorite to win the ladies' competition was Nancy Kerrigan, who had also won back in 1993. In fact, she was expected to go on to the, the Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway, just a month later, and challenge for gold there. But on that fateful day, as she was coming off the ice after a practice session, a man wielding a blunt object clubbed her in, in the knee. Nancy fell to the ground, grabbing her knee, while her attacker made his escape. Well, I'm not going to go into all of the de details here this morning, but it was uncovered that her skating rival, Tanya Harding, and her husband, Jeff Gululi, were involved in the attack, along with some other men. And the purpose was to put Tanya in a better position to win, which, by the way, didn't work. Nancy Kerrigan did have to pull out of the Olympic trials, but she was able to recover over the next two or three weeks, and the U.S. Figure Skating Association found a loophole that allowed them to add her name to the Olympic team. And once she was there, Kerrigan went on to capture the silver medal, while Tanya Harding finished all the way down in 10th place. And of course, if you were really paying attention during this time, you know that Harding messed things up pretty bad for Canadian José Schwenard, too. But that's another story. So that's just a quick summary of what happened. But do you remember what Nancy Kerrigan said just after the attack as she sat on the floor grasping her knee? She started to sob. Why? Why? Why me? Why me? I think that's a question we all ask ourselves from time to time. Occasionally, it's when something bad happens to us, like it did to Nancy. But it's not only when bad things happen to us that we ask, why me? Sometimes we ask it when good things happen. Sometimes we ask it when we're blessed in a way that we don't feel we deserve. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed with gratitude and can't help but to ask, why? Why me? Have you ever experienced that? Well, a couple thousand years ago, there was a teenager who experienced this feeling firsthand. Her name was Mary. She was highly honored by God, but was overwhelmed by the magnitude of the blessing. And she didn't quite know how to handle it. Right now, playing in the theaters, there's, there's her story. you can go and see her story in the movie The Nativity Story. And in that movie, there's a scene where she is talking with her relative Elizabeth. She has recently been informed by an angel that she would become pregnant and would give birth to Jesus. So she's talking with Elizabeth, and she just turns to her and asks her, Why is it me God has asked? I am nothing. Why is it me God has asked? I am nothing. At this time, Mary was a virgin. Yet she was chosen by God to become pregnant and become the mother of Jesus. God himself would come to earth as a baby and Mary would be his mother. What a huge honor and a huge responsibility. It was overwhelming for her. Why is it me God has asked? I am nothing. Why? Why me? And throw in the fact that she was engaged 
and was expected to remain a virgin until she was married, and while there were going to be complications, people wouldn't believe her, people would judge her, her own parents and her own fiancé would possibly reject her, and if they did that, then under Jewish law, she could even be executed by, by a stoning in the streets. Yeah, overwhelming is a good word. Why? Why me? Now, you're not going to be called by God to become his mother. That calling was exclusively for Mary. I feel pretty confident in saying that you're not going to receive that same calling. But you will be called. In fact, God has already chosen you for a specific purpose or purposes. He has a will that is specifically for you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Underline those words. God's will for you. God has a will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You have been chosen by God. Exactly what that means for you, I can't tell you. I wish I could. I really do. But I can't tell you that. That's something you have to work out between you and Him. But there are a few tips that I can give you to help you discover what God's will is for you. We're not going to spend a lot of time on these. Uh, we actually talked about this last summer. So I just want to give them to you quickly. Here's just a few tips for discovering God's will for my life. Letter A is allow God to transform me according to His will, values, and desires. If I want to discover God's will for my life, I need to allow Him to transform me according to His will, values, and desires. And just when you thought we were done with our Extreme Makeover series, right? Here we are talking about transformations again. But remember, we also talked about how this transformation takes a lifetime, how it's an ongoing process. So we'll be continuing to talk about the transforming work of God in our lives. And that verse we just looked at in Romans chapter 12 talked about allowing God to transform you. Why? So that you can know His will. Because what He'll do is this. He'll place in you a hunger for His will. He'll give you a passion to fulfill His will for you. So allow God to transform you. And I've got to allow God to transform me according to His will, values, and desires, if we want to know His will for our lives. What else do I have to do to discover God's will for me? Well, I have to get close to God and ask Him to, throw, to show me His will. That's letter B. Get close to God and ask Him to show me His will. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For everything, absolutely everything, everything gets started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. So go to the source. Get close to God. The closer you get to God, the more intimate your relationship becomes with Him, the clearer His direction for your life will become. Letter C. Discover how God has gifted me. If I want to know His will for me, I need to discover how God has gifted me. You see, if God has a specific task for you, which He does, then He has also given you the gifts and the abilities to accomplish it. Because He's not going to set you up for failure. Looking a little bit further in Romans chapter 12, Paul went on to say, We are all parts of his one body, and each of us has different work to do. Okay, So God has a will for each one of us. And then he says, God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. And those certain things give us insight into what his will is for us. Okay, We've talked about that before, how to discover God's will for your life. And we'll talk about it again sometime. But the truth is, you probably already know God's will, at least in specific situations. Oh, you might not yet know God's overarching plan for you, 
But you know that there are times when God calls you to meet a specific need, or when he challenges you to take a stand for him, or when he presents you with big opportunities, which are also big responsibilities. Uh, If you're a follower of Christ, then you've felt the prodding of the Holy Spirit in your life urging you to do God's will. And if it hasn't happened yet, it will. As you live for God, he will call you for specific tasks. Some will be relatively minor, and others may require a great deal of you. So what do you do in those times? Particularly when the task seems too big for you and the sacrifice seems too large, what do you do? How do you respond when God calls you? Well, what I want us to do for the rest of our time is this. I want to look at the example of Mary and see how she responded when God chose her for an overwhelming purpose. How did she react? Can we do the same? And I want us to look at Mary as an example of how we should respond when God calls us. Okay? So in your notes, how do I respond when God calls me? Well, first of all, I respond with thankfulness. This pregnancy was going to drastically change Mary's life. A lot of persecution and heartache and pain was in her future. But she didn't complain. She didn't gripe. She didn't mope. Instead of whining about the problems this would create in her life, Mary decided that she would be thankful. Even when she realized that her life would never be the same and that she could in fact lose everything, she was still thankful that God had chosen her. And so she expressed it this way. In Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, she said, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord! How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior! Because she realized that to be chosen by God is a great honor. She responded with thankfulness and with praise. Now, she could have become bitter. She could have been resentful. She could have felt like God was imposing on her life uninvited. But instead, she chose to express her gratitude that she could be so honored to be chosen by God. She praised God with thankfulness. You also have been chosen by God. Be thankful. He doesn't call you just to keep you busy. He calls you. When he calls you, he calls you to make a difference. He brings meaning to your life. Be thankful when he chooses you. Now, in contrast to how Mary responded, think about Moses and how he responded when God called him. Do you remember what happened? Moses had been a prince in Egypt, but had murdered someone and so was now living in exile, tending sheep. And one day when he was out in the desert tending sheep, actually he was, he was uh, working for his father-in-law and he was taking care of his sheep and he was on the other side of the desert from where they lived and was actually up into the mountain, mountainous area near Mount Horeb. And God spoke to him from a burning bush, a bush that was on fire but wouldn't burn up. And God called Moses to go back into Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery there. Now you'd think that having a a bush start to talk to you would be a pretty good sign to Moses that maybe you should do what he was being told to do. But how did he decide to respond? How did Moses respond? Well, he didn't say, why me? No, he didn't say, why me? He said, not me. And there's a world of difference between the two. He was scared and he just didn't want to do it. He was afraid for his life. He wanted God to recruit someone else. But it was Moses that God had chosen. And eventually, reluctantly, Moses agreed. But that whole process was not his shining moment. 
That kind of reminds me of a song that came out several years ago by Scott Wesley Brown. He wrote a song that was kind of a satire that said this. this the song said, Oh Lord, I'm your willing servant. You know that I've been for years. I'm here in this pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I've stained it with many a tear. I've given you years of my service. I've always given my best. And I've never asked you for anything much. So Lord, I deserve this request. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan. Don't like lions or rivers or snakes. I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle class life. But please don't send me out into the bush where the natives are restless at night. Now that was kind of Moses' attitude. Please don't send me. But Mary, Mary was willing to go anywhere and do anything that God requested of her. And she would do it willingly, thankfully, because God had chosen her. So respond with thankfulness. Number two, respond with humility. Respond with humility. Now, in that scene from the movie, and we, we looked at it earlier, in that scene where, Moses, uh, where Mary said, Why is it me? I am nothing. Why is it me God has chosen? I am nothing. When you heard that, didn't you just want to stand up and yell at the screen? No, Mary, you're a somebody. You're special. God has chosen you because you're special. Didn't you just feel like shouting that to Mary? Why would Mary say, I am nothing? I mean, does she have an inferiority complex? Why would she say, I am nothing? Well, she actually said it because that's what the screenwriter wrote in the script. What she really said, looking in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, she wrote, For he, for God, took notice of his lowly servant girl. Now, why would she say that? Why would she refer to herself as a lowly servant girl? Could it possibly be because that's what she was? I mean, Mary had no position of importance. She had no real influence. She wasn't a community leader. She had performed no deeds of greatness. She was just a lowly servant girl. And that's why she was so overwhelmed. That's why she was so amazed that God had chosen her. She really was nothing by earthly standards. But yet God had chosen her and honored her. I suppose she could have thought, well, it's about time. I deserve this. I've lived a good life. I've tried to be as moral and pure as I could be. Of course God chose me. What other choice could there be? I suppose she could have become all egotistical and proud like that. But she didn't. Instead, she responded with humility. You know, very few things annoy me as much as a believer who has been blessed by God in a certain way, who uses that blessing as an excuse to become proud and boastful. You know, the people who come across as if God owes them something. When a church leader or when a pastor or when a high-profile believer starts to act like they're superior, that's just such a turnoff. The truth is, they don't deserve to be chosen by God. And they don't deserve the blessings of God. None of us do. Do you remember that old Saturday Night Live thing, I'm not worthy? Well, none of us are worthy. We could all say that. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of the blessings of God. I'm not worthy to be chosen by Him. Mary understood that. She understood that she wasn't worthy. She knew that she wasn't worthy to be chosen by God for such an honor. And that's why she responded with humility instead of pride. 
She recognized that no matter how good of a life that she could lead, and no matter how much power she could achieve, it would be nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of God. And when she realized that, there was really no option for her but to respond with humility. After all, God himself was humbling himself to become a man. And years later, the Apostle Paul would actually reflect on this when he would write in Philippians chapter 2, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took, on, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus himself was humble. Mary knew that. Mary knew that God was humbling himself by coming to earth as a man. Mary knew that she wasn't chosen uh, because she was worthy to be chosen. She was chosen out of God's grace and his mercy. There was nothing about her that singled her out to be chosen by God. So she responded with humility. And you and I, when we are called, we should respond humbly as well. And thirdly, when we are chosen by God, we need to respond with obedience. Our obedience to God must flow out of a heart that is completely His, a heart that honors Him and that's filled with love and compassion, a heart that seeks after His will. I read a story a while back about a boy named Sammy. Sammy was riding along in the car with his mother, and Sammy's in the back seat, and like many young boys, he's becoming restless. So he keeps taking off his seatbelt, standing up, and leaning over the front seat. His mother keeps telling him, Sammy, sit down and put on your seatbelt. But Sammy doesn't sit down. Sammy, sit down and put on your seatbelt or we might get in an accident and you'll get hurt. Sammy still refuses to sit, sit down. And finally, the mother reaches over the back seat with her right hand and pushes him down and says, Now stay there or I'll stop the car and spank you. Well, Sammy sat there this time. He sat there with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face. And after several minutes, Sammy spoke up and he declared, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Well, it took a while, but Sammy finally got around to obeying his mother, at least on the outside. But he never really obeyed his mother on the inside. He never obeyed her from his heart. But Mary, Mary did. Mary obeyed God from her heart. She willingly participated in God's plan for her. In fact, when the angel Gabriel first came to her and told her that she was chosen to become pregnant and give birth to Jesus, what did she say? She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And it did. Now, did Mary have reasons not to obey? Well, maybe. Let's, let's explore that for a minute. What reasons could she have had? Well, she could have had other plans for her life. Maybe she was looking forward to getting married and having children with her husband and, and living in a spacious home with a white picket fence and a two-car garage. Maybe she even planned to join the PTA. I don't know what her plans were, but I'm sure she had some. But do you know what God says about that? In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, God says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He says, I know that you have plans, but my plans are for you are even greater. And he even promises joy and peace and fullness of life if we put his plans first. 
There have been several times in my own life when I've had to shelve my own plans in favor of God's plans, and there have been some costs along the way. But you know, I wouldn't change that for anything. God's ways are higher than my ways. So maybe Mary had other plans, but she knew that God's plans were better. In fact, she could have quite possibly been familiar with that verse where God said, my ways are higher than your ways. She could have known that. She could have had that verse memorized. So she could have had other plans, but she knew better than to use that as a reason not to obey. Or perhaps Mary was scared. We're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks, but do you think Mary could have been afraid? I think so. In fact, I'm sure she was. But maybe she was reminded of what God had said in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Wow, that's good news, isn't it? That's good to know. When you're faced with a situation that causes fear to begin to well up within you, remember that verse. I'm sure Mary did. What do you think Mary might have felt like she wasn't up to the task? That the calling was just too big for her? And you know, she'd be right to feel that way. And that's where faith and trust come into play. Because God may call you to something that's beyond yourself. In fact, He will do that. But He will make up the difference as well. What did the angel tell Mary? In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary was told, For nothing is impossible with God. So I'm sure that Mary had reasons that she could have used to not obey God's calling. But she knew that her reasons were really just excuses. And so she chose to obey regardless of the reasons not to. Now, my admonition for you this morning is this. Whatever God calls you to, whether he has cho- whatever He's chosen you to do, do it with a heart of thankfulness, humility, and obedience. And sometimes that takes courage, but you can always trust that God has your best interest at heart. He will not call you to do something without giving you the ability to do it. And He will not call you to do something without there being a greater purpose behind it. You may not know what it is, but it's there. When He chooses you, He chooses you for a purpose. So let me ask you this. What if Mary had refused? What if Mary had refused to go along with God's plans? I don't really know if that was an option for her or not, but what if she could refuse and did refuse to go along with God's plan? What would be different? Well, I suppose God would have found someone else. I suspect Mary wasn't the only virgin in town. I sure hope not. I'm sure God could have worked something else out. But what would be different? I think the biggest difference would be that Mary would have never fulfilled the primary thing that she was chosen for. She would have faded off into obscurity. We would have never heard of her. We certainly wouldn't be talking about her here today. Or if we were, we would be talking about her as an example of what not to do. The biggest contribution of her life would have never been made. So let me turn that to you and to me. What will be different if we refuse? What will be different for you if you reject God's plan for your life? God has chosen you. 
He's chosen you to live for Him. He's chosen you to be His representative in this world. He has chosen you to make a difference. He has chosen you. In great and small ways, He has chosen you. Why would you ever want to refuse that? Mary knew that it was a great honor, and so she willingly participated in God's plan. And because of that, she knew that her life had meaning. In fact, she expressed it this way. In Luke chapter 1, verse 48, she said, For he, for God, took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed or blessed. And she was right. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her. That's the legacy she has left. What kind of legacy will you leave? Will you be remembered as someone chosen by God who willingly participated in His plan? If that's the legacy you want to leave, then I'd invite you to pray along with me. You can just pray silently where you are. You can pray something like this. God, I'm available. Whatever you ask of me, I want to be willing to obey you. I trust your leadership in my life and I'm thankful that you've chosen me. I know I'm not worthy, but I thank you for choosing me anyway. And I ask you to work your perfect will out in and through my life. In your name I pray. Amen.